0: So, we are in a series where we are trying to look at what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, when, you, when you read scripture, everything about scripture, so when you, when you see who Jesus encounters, when you see that him, he, go out, he goes out of his way, encounters someone, uh, that encounter is to teach us something about being intentional in, in, in who we're called to, to reach in the kingdom of God. When, when, he, um, when he preaches or when he teaches, he's teaching us things about the kingdom of God. And so we have been trying to look at, at what it means to, to live as people in the kingdom of God uh, and what a response to this is all about. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, If you're using the Pew Bibles, I believe it's page 18 in the New Testament. Uh, That's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at three verses starting in verse 44, reading through verse 46. Matthew 13 starting in verse 44. Scripture says this, says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. Now, these two parables are nestled in the 13th chapter of Matthew, where we get seven different parables about the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're short, uh, but they are very powerful when you begin to really understand what it is that Jesus is teaching us. Because they talk to us about our purpose. They talk to us about why we exist and how we can live out as people in the kingdom of God. And so, the, so they talk to us about kingdom. Jesus paints a picture of a kingdom that is a treasure. One shows us a case of a buried treasure, the other a, a pearl at great price. But once we understand the treasure, then we pour our whole life into attainment. I mean, that's, that's how we understand treasure in a sense. Um, I think of a treasure hunter, the, the, the emotion of somebody who is a treasure hunter, giving everything they can to, to find that, that treasure. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me. My, if you were to ask me what my favorite movie is, uh, I'm going to tell you that my favorite movie is Talladega Nights. Um, if people know me long, that's what I'm going to tell you. But if I go based on the movie that I have watched the most, uh, it would not be Talladega Knights it would be, I won't make my wife tell you, but it would be National Treasure. Uh, I, I, if it came on today, I would watch it again. Uh, I, I love National Treasure. She hates it uh, because we have watched it probably 50 times. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's an old movie, and you should have seen it by now. Uh, so, it, But it, it's this movie about this gentleman. His name's Benjamin Gates, and he is a treasure hunter. His family, he, he's, he's from this long line of treasure hunters. They have all been looking for, for generations to find. And he, he got this from his grandfather it passed down to his dad. His dad is, is belief that the treasure is a myth now. And so he tells Benjamin, he's like, you're wasting your life. You don't need to go and look for this. But he doesn't listen to his father and he goes. And ultimately he finds the treasure uh, at the end. And, 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 but, but it's that emotion. I mean, he was willing to give up everything to, to find this treasure. And that, that's that emotion that we're talking about as Jesus is teaching us this parable. Now these parables are Are typically thought of as twins but yet they are distinct in some significant differences and we want to look at that today. Now first we have to stop and think about what does it mean when we say kingdom of God, when we say kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? Now Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke use the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew uses kingdom of God five times but he says kingdom of heaven 31 times. Um, Mark and Luke don't use the phrase kingdom of heaven at all. So most scholars would say that Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because he's writing to a primarily Jewish congregation or Jewish audience and they would have been offended by the repetitive use of the word God because Jewish people don't use the word God because they're fearful that they're going to misuse the word God and therefore break a commandment and so they they wouldn't use it. So Matthew understanding that, he, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. So kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God seem to be interchangeable in that sense. So when you're reading that in scripture, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God seem to be uh, the same thing. So, so what do we mean by this? The kingdom of heaven is, is the rule of God, the domain of God, the reign of God. We sang about that. The reign of God, the, the, the perfect will of God, where God has, has his way. Where God is sovereign. And on the one hand, the kingdom of God is everywhere. I mean, the cosmos exist because of the kingdom of God. God spoke it into being. Electrons work the way they work precisely because God created them that way. Scripture tells us that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. We are here because of the kingdom of God. But at least here, God has given humanity the ability to follow the king... Or resist the king the king we think about the king that we follow the king that we serve is a king the scripture says that was willing to to empty himself he was willing to to come off of his throne to to come to this earth to live so that we could learn more about god that we could see who god is he could reveal to us who but ultimately to lay his life down for us this is the kind of king who cares for us and loves us. But he still ultimately gives us the ability to decide whether we're going to follow him or not follow him. The kingdom of God is also the, this heavenly realm that exists after this life where we are able to see the full kingdom, where God is completely... Uh, His his will is completely lived out. We don't see that here. That's the reason that we have bloodshed and racism and injustice and poverty. Uh, All of those that that exist here, the the kingdom of God that we see in in the heavenly realm, the scripture says, there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no suffering. That's all. So the kingdom of God is this hope that we have. This hope that we have that we will see a day where the full will of God is lived out. That's part of what we get when we see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a promise that all of the pain that we experience in this life um, doesn't win out. The kingdom of God is a vision, it's a picture, and God commands us to live our lives in accordance with the kingdom. So, when we subject ourselves to the will of God, we do things that please God, that usher in more of the kingdom. It's the reason we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a vision, a picture. In the book of Revelation, it tells us in the final coming of Christ that all those things that are set aside, all, I mean, all those things that are in rebellion of God, that they are set aside and that there's a new heaven and a new earth. All of that is in. The kingdom of heaven and that brings us comfort because we know that all the pain and all the suffering in this life does not win but Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is not just out there that the kingdom of God is within us do you know that the power that that brings us that the kingdom of God is within us when you give your life to God you subject yourself to the will of God and so you become a subject to God all of that is embedded in the phrase kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like these things, it's, it's the hope that we have and the future that we have and the vision that we have, the promise that we have, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fact that God loves us and commands us to live out ways that please him. All of that in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus tells us something about the kingdom of heaven. He says that it's a treasure. Listen to this first parable in verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Now, let's think about this for a moment. This would be an everyday occurrence in Jesus' time. Everybody who was listening to Jesus would probably have known somebody who found a treasure in a field. That sounds foreign to us, but they didn't have banks. Banks. May have had some bankers, but most people didn't hide their, their 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 money in banks. They would take their their wealth, they would collect it up, and they would go bury it in a field so that thieves couldn't find it. And they would try to remember where it was, and they might write down where it was so that they could remember how to get directed to it. But they're no different than us. Have you ever lost the remote control? Right? You know the anxiety, or, and in today's generation, if I, if you lose your phone, you know how 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 terrifying that is. Well. They're no different. So they they put their treasure in the field. They, they, they reminded them where it was, but then they lost it. And that's how people lost some of the treasure. It, some people lost treasure because they would bury their treasure in the field. They wouldn't necessarily tell their family members where it was, and then they would pass away. And nobody would know where the treasure was. And so everybody would have have known this. This happened all the time in Jesus' day. And you notice that this man, he wasn't even looking for it. He was probably a, a tenant farmer that was plowing the field and as he plowed the field, he heard a thud and he thought, what is that? And he dug it up and lo and behold there was somebody's treasure. Right? You can imagine the emotion of them that found it. This ha- it happened all the time and it still happens even today. Let me show you a picture of, uh, of a jar ...that was found recently as they were excavating in the Holy Land. And they heard a thud, they dug it up, and this is what they found. But the jar was heavy. They could tell it was heavier than just dirt. And so they, they wanted to see what was inside. They were a little nervous, but they noticed a fracture on the side of the jar. And so they opened up the jar by the fracture. And lo and behold, inside they found 20 pounds of silver that had kind of melted together... They were able to take that silver and they were able to go in and figure out what it was, and they realized that this was uh, silver medallions that were in there from 3,000 years ago. Now, I just want you to picture this. When Jesus is telling the parable, this jar has been in the ground for 1,000 years. Everybody understood this emotion. The people who discovered that, could you imagine the, the joy and the excitement? That's what Jesus is describing when you come to understand the kingdom of heaven. What's treasure? That's another word that he uses. And you stop and think, we, and even in my example, I, I use something that's monetary. But, but most of us would all know that treasure, the thing that makes your heart leap, your heart leap is, is probably not money. If I were to ask you where your treasure is, we don't typically say, well, our treasure's in the bank. My treasure's in CDs. My, my treasure is in, in, in securities or my treasure is in a life insurance policy. That's not what makes our heart leap. I'm, I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but I'll call them out. If you go ask Jane and Don Cruz to show you a picture of their new grandbaby, we're, we're, we're going to get more of the emotion of making your heart leap, right? And I promise you they will show you pictures. Uh, but, but, but we kind of better understand what it means for, for treasure. That's how it is with the kingdom of God. And some people... Discover what a treasure is, and some people dismiss it. I was sharing this week with Diane, who's the minister of assistance assistant in the office. I said that there was a book I read a couple of years ago, written by a man by the name of Richard Dawkins. He's one of the leading uh, writers from the field of atheism. And he, in this book that I read, it was, he talked a little bit about the kingdom of God. And in his argument is the kingdom of God is nothing more than a delusion. So for Richard Dawkins, the kingdom of God is easy to dismiss. For me, it's everything. And what we see in this story is this gentleman just stumbled upon it. He just found it. And I say that to you because so often that's how conversion works. Let me tell you, when I started going to church, really going to church, I didn't go to church because I thought I needed God. I went to church because Latham was born. And we felt like Latham needed to grow up in church. I thought Latham needed God. And as I sat in the pews, all of a sudden, I stumbled upon the kingdom of God and realized I needed God it's what we see in this parable we stumble across it we're not even looking for it and then right behind it you get this twin parable where the story is totally different it's a picture of a merchant that is searching for it he searched for this pearl his whole entire life that's what he does for a living he, he, he trades in, in this valuable commodity it was the most valuable commodity one of the most valuable commodities in jesus's time gold silver was fairly common um Ordinary pearls were pretty common, uh, but, but a rare pearl was, was at a great price, and he searched for it. He had longed for it. He was, he was hungry for it. Listen to his story in verses 45 and 46. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. This man was willing to give up everything to find his pearl. It's what his heart had been longing for his whole life. And finally, he found it. And there are people, probably some in this room, who've searched their whole life for something, something bigger than themselves, something that gives fulfillment and purpose. Maybe you have believed in God with your mind, but you know that deep inside of you, you're you're hungry. This is what we see this merchant. Searching. Searching for something. I think about it and it's probably because we are doing confirmation class right now but I, I think in some ways if you know much about our history as Methodists that's John Wesley. John Wesley was searching for something. He, he, he believed in his mind and but then he saw something. He saw something in a group of people. would be called the Moravians. He saw something in the Moravians about their experience in the midst of a storm that was different for him. And so he began to search for this. When he got back to England after his trip to Georgia, and you can go study all about John Wesley if you want to, but when he got back to England, he, he, he looked after to, to try to find this and to, to understand what it was. And then he went to a Bible study. It was on the book of Romans. And as he read the book of Romans and listened to the Bible study, he said that his heart was strangely warmed, and he began to experience the kingdom. Searched for it his whole life. See what these parables tell us is that some people stumble into it. and Some people search for it their whole life but when they find it, when they understand the treasure of it, in both instances they're filled with joy. As I was writing this sermon I could not help but think of a couple in my last church. There was a lady in the church, she, she was Jewish, and she came to me. She wanted to come to membership class. And so she came to membership class, and as we were going through it, we got to the part of trying to decide whether you wanted to join. And she said, wanted to know if she could join. And I said, well, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, no, I'm not yet there. And I said, well, then, no, you can't join. I mean, part of membership is a profession of Jesus Christ as, as Lord of your life. And so she was searching. She, was, she, she had been searching. And she appreciated the fact that she could come into our church and, and, and listen and learn. Um, one Sunday, we were having service and I was preaching and I got to a place where I did something that I don't normally do, which was I had everybody close their eyes and bow their heads. And we were talking about kind of giving your life to God and accepting Christ and, and all that. And I said, what I want you to do with everybody's... Head bowed and eyes closed. I want you to raise your hand if you're searching for Jesus. You want to accept Jesus. And at right, raise your hand as if you're like reaching Jesus' hand, knowing that Jesus will reach back to you. It was a very powerful moment. Uh, but I had her do that. And, and so I, I was like, I didn't know this until she came to me later. And she said she really felt compelled to raise her hand. But she didn't want to raise it because she was fearful of what her husband might think. Now, the interesting thing to the story is the husband was Christian. And I thought, why would he care? Uh, I mean, he should be excited that you raise your hand, right? So she, she didn't raise her hand. She was, she was kind of worried about what he would say. And finally, she got the courage to raise her hand. And so she said she raised her hand and she opened her eyes. And when she opened her eyes, there sat her husband with his hand raised. You see, she had been searching her whole life for truth. And she found the kingdom of God. He'd been in church his whole entire life. And he stumbled into it that day. Both of them accepting the kingdom of God, accepting Christ into their heart. And their lives have been forever changed. Everything's different for them. Some people stumble upon it. Some people search for it. But it is the greatest treasure. And what these scriptures tell us is the appropriate response to the kingdom of heaven. Once you discover it, what's the appropriate response? They pursue. They, they give up everything in pursuit of the treasure. When you read this, you might immediately think about the encounter that tells us in the Gospels of the man who comes to Jesus and he asks him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you need to follow my commandments. He says, I've been following the commandments my whole life. And Jesus said, but if you want to be perfect, you've got to, to go and sell everything you have. And you know the story, he was a man of wealth and he was very sad, he walked away. And we read that story and we think, well does that mean that God is going to call all of us to give everything up and to sell everything and give it to the poor? The church has never historically interpreted that that's what the purpose of that scripture was, for us to all give everything over. The, the understanding is that Jesus was speaking in a hyperbole for us to challenge ourselves to stop and go, if there's something between you and God, are you willing to let go of it? Are you willing to surrender it? Are you willing to give it over to God? Is the kingdom of God the most important thing in your life? I'll be honest, and you might be able to argue this if you want to, but I don't think that this happens immediately. Often when we find Christ, I don't even think we understand the implications of what it means to follow Christ. However, I believe that you come to a place where it really challenges you to to stop and think, what is it that God is calling you to let go of? Is it pride? Pride? Is it being right? What is it that God is calling you to let go of? Is the kingdom of God the most important thing? And in my experience, when you begin to let go of something that God calls you to let go of, you get back great reward. Listen to what it says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, it says, Those who find their lives will lose them. And those who lose their lives because of me will find them. In essence, that's what these parables, are, this, these parables are saying. This treasure becomes the most important thing. And are you willing to give up whatever God asks you to give up? He may not ask you. And here's the reaction. He may not ask you to go to Guatemala. But he might. And if he did, would you go? He may not ask you to go to the Dominican Republic, but he might. He may not ask you to give up your Saturday so that you can go out and help people who are, who are hungry or homeless, but he might. What's the most important thing? I'm going to invite you this morning. I want everybody to close your eyes. I want to ask you one question. And I want you to close your eyes because I don't want you to, to be thinking about anybody else. You can only have one most important thing in your life. What is yours? You can only have one most important thing in your life. What is yours? All right, you can open your eyes. See, for some of us, the most important thing may be wealth it may be security may be stability for some of you you may have closed your eyes and you thought about a relationship but here is what i do know which is if there is anything that is more important than god the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven in your life it will never satisfy you you can have as much wealth But in my experience is when wealth becomes the thing that is the most important thing, you never have enough wealth. If relationships become the most important thing, the relationships never quite satisfy you. I love my family. I love my wife but I do realize that if I love my wife more than I love God, I do not have the capacity to love her the way that God calls me to love her. And I don't have the capacity to love my children the way that God calls me to love them. And I don't have the capacity to love you as a congregation the way that God calls me to love you. If I love God the most, then God gives me the ability and the capacity to be able to love her and to love them and to love you. What's the most important thing in your life? Paul writes this in Philippians 3. He says, but even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for him. But what I lost, I think of as sewer trash so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. In Christ, I have a righteousness that is not my own and that does not come from the law, but rather from the faithfulness of Christ. It is righteousness of God that is based on faith. The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death so, to his death, so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. It's not that I have already reached this goal or have already been perfected, but I pursue it. So that I may grab hold of it because Christ grabbed hold of me for just this purpose. Let me tell you, if the number one thing in your life is not the kingdom of God, you're missing out on the treasure of this life. I want to say God is most important, but I also am very aware that there are times that I don't live that way. If God were to tell me tomorrow to move to Kenya, would I go? I would like to think that I would, but I don't know. That I would Paul says that he hasn't reached this goal I haven't reached this goal but Paul says he pursues it I want to pursue it I press on so that it becomes true in Methodist language what we'd say is we are moving towards perfection last week I told you that in the kingdom of God we are called to be people who are open to new things new ideas and some of you were worried I was fixing to make some big announcement, and I wasn't. It was just that's in the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to, to be. I, I, and the same is true today. I don't know what God is calling you to do. And I'm not here this morning to try to, to tell you that this is what God is calling you to do. What I want you to wrestle with today is whatever God is calling you to do, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to make the kingdom of God the most important thing in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in his book, Cost of Discipleship, said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It is not enough for man simply to recover right ideas about God or to obey his will and the isolated actions of his life. No man must be refashioned as a living whole in the image of God. His whole form, body, soul, and spirit must once bear that image on earth. That's our job 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, to be refashioned. Let me ask you, do you know the treasure? That's the first question you have to ask yourself is, do you know the treasure of the kingdom of heaven? Have you been searching for it? Did you just stumble upon it? But if you know it, if you know the treasure, do you listen to what the gospel says, Do you do everything and devote everything to attain it? Are you willing to give up whatever it is that God is asking you to give up to make it the number one thing in your life? Let's pray. As we pray this morning... I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Because as I worked on this sermon it hit me. That couple was forever changed but it was because we asked a question. And I don't want to assume that you have been asked this question before. So with your eyes closed and your head bowed. If you've been searching for God, if you've been searching for truth, you've been searching, maybe you know about God in your head, but you don't have a relationship with Christ. I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand. Raise it like you're reaching to touch the hand of Jesus. Maybe this will be the first time that you ever raise it. But maybe also today. Maybe you. Maybe you asked or, or, or knew what the treasure was years ago. And somehow. You've letting weeds get in the way. So I invite you today if that's You. And you say, you know what? I I know what the treasure is, but it is not the most important thing in my life, but I want it to be the most important thing in my life. Raise your hand. If that's you today. Then you can put your hands down. And in just a moment, as we sing this last song, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar if you want to pray just because you raised your hand doesn't mean that you have to come to the altar and just because you come to the altar doesn't mean you raised your hand but if you want a moment just you and God I invite you today to to experience the power of claiming that I have found the treasure I know what the treasure is and I want To make it the most important thing in my life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.